Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Grab out your note sheet and let's jump right into today's sermon. All right, if you have your Bibles today, I'm going to go ahead and give you the passages if you want to write them down or be ready. We're going to jam through these. Well, you guys talk too much as a church. I need you to talk less. That's my job. I'm supposed to be talking. It's almost like you guys don't want to hear me talk. Like you just... You're probably not even talking about the question. You're like, let's just keep talking. All right. We are crunched on on time. But I want to get it going. I've already heard some interesting answers. um, And I appreciate you guys sharing. Okay, so we're going to be in John 12 today. Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 1. So we're going to the Old Testament. We're all over the Bible today. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. It's a humongous book. If you split your Bible in half, it's going to be right near there. Um, It's after like your Psalms and your Proverbs, the books of wisdom. Isaiah comes after that. Um, And so uh, we're going to be in Isaiah today. And then we're going to end back in the New Testament in Romans 1. So we're all over the place. John 12, Isaiah 6, Romans 1. Those are the passages today. All right, before we get into it, the key word today is righteousness. I'm going to be explaining that. Jesus explains it, and we're going to be talking about that uh, today. Uh, A few announcements. First of all, I forgot to dismiss the kids, if you're still here. If you're, uh, yeah, got to get used to that. If you're uh, in grade school and you're like, I am bored out of my mind, get me out of here, you can head back now to uh, the playground area, to the teachers back there if you want, or you can hang out with the old people. Uh, Connection groups start this week. We are doing a six-week kind of mini Let's test it out, see how it goes. Connection groups. These connection groups are going to be a little bit short. They're focused on three questions. uh, And they're going to be laser focused as far as, uh, again, on the JQ challenge, which I'll explain today. Uh, And then also um, the one question from the sermon. We're not doing four or five questions. It's going to be what what challenge or encourage you from the sermon. And then we're going to be praying. The groups, all groups are actually going to start off with prayer. We're going to talk to God before we talk to each other. That's the theme for these next six weeks. We have a video group on Wednesday night from 6 to 7. We have an in-person group meeting outside. We have fire pits ready to go. It's going to be at our house. And so we've got two fire pits. So the men and the women uh, both will be able to keep warm. And so uh, those are filling up. If you're not in, sign up now. Uh, You can go on our website. You can go on the app or email me. Don't talk to me. I will forget what you said if you talk to me. If any of you know me, I will forget it. All right? So... In fact, go to Laura Lee then. She might remember more than me. Um, but uh, we're going to start this week. Uh, and so we're really excited about that. And um, also, uh, we started off this thing called uh, the JQ Challenge. We talked about that. We want to, as a church, for the next few months, raise our Jesus quotient. You know how there's IQ and there's EQ? There's all these different like uh, intellects and quotients, right? Uh, we want to raise our Jesus quotient. As far as living out, this came from the... The talk that I gave us, what our theme is this year, is we want to live out Jesus. So we want to get to know him in order to, to express him to the world and really live out that when they see our lives, they see Jesus. That's what Jesus wanted. And so uh, we're going to purposefully have a quality character of, of Jesus that we practice. We literally just practice each week. This last week was patience. Woo-hoo-hoo. How is that for you guys? Living out the patience of Jesus. We notice how patient Jesus was with the disciples when they said dumb things or when they did dumb things. He didn't kick them out like, you're out, Peter, right? No, he loved them. He's patient or he was patient in his timing. He 
He's waiting on God the Father, right, and timing, so he didn't rush things. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to share. How was patience this week? Good? Difficult? Some victories? Some challenges? How was it? What? Really? That's surprising. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how great to be patient and wait for God to give you something. That is so cool. Wow, that's awesome. Um, thank you for sharing, too. Did you have something else you wanted to Do you want to stand up and talk, or you want me to tell the church? Yell, just yell it out. Yes, go ahead and stand up, yeah. This is going to be good. Yeah. Hey. Even Jesus yelled a couple times. So two two you're in, you're within that Jesus quotient. That's good. <laughs> but you were very cognizant throughout the week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's awesome. This is what we want. We then This is what we're going to be doing in connection groups. We're practicing it today is you're going to be sharing about the Jesus quotient. And sometimes we're going to have cool things to share. Like, I, like I'm not saying I was God this week, but... There was victory because I'm supposed to live out Jesus. And then sometimes we're going to show up being like, yeah, that just, no, no Jesus quotient. But I want us to get used to that language. Was that a high Jesus quotient, low Jesus quotient? Because we're going to have opportunities to be Jesus. That's the goal of our lives. I know I'm trying to hold this down while I'm, I know. I'm a, I'm a little worried this is just going to go. 
So, um, so today, uh, the Jesus quotient that ties in with the sermon is um, as uh, Andrew and Laura Lee and I, as we met and we meet on Mondays, so be praying for us as we think about the church and kind of what we can do. It, it's coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, where Jesus says um, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It says right after that, for they will be filled. Like, who doesn't want to be filled? filled with God and the qualities of God and the wisdom of God and the power of God. Well, how do we do that? It says hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we're breaking down today. We talked about that uh, last week um, as far as when we compared and contrasted uh, Mary, right, with Judas and that false righteousness where Judas looked righteous because he was a disciple, but he was stealing from Jesus, so you had the appearance of righteousness, but it wasn't real. Uh, and then you had Mary, who the people would look at her and be like, oh, she's not very righteous. She's slobbering all over Jesus and pouring out perfume. Like, she doesn't have it together. And Jesus says, she's got righteousness, right? But what was that response? Why was, why was she doing the right thing? Well, because if you remember the chapter before that, she did the wrong thing. She complained to Jesus. She questioned Jesus and said, why weren't you here to save my brother Lazarus. And then his grace, his kindness led her to repent and be like, whoa, she didn't realize, no, God's got bigger plans. And then that's when she put the perfume on his feet. It's God's kindness that leads us to righteousness. And now Jesus is gonna explain this more. We're still in John 12, that's the context. And now he's gonna, he's gonna talk about this even more. John 12, 37, we're gonna continue now the story after we just looked at Mary and Judas. In John 12, 37, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Now think about the miracle that just happened. A dead guy was raised in his living. Like, you can't top that. Like, ta-da, ba-boom. You know, it's like, like if you showed up to Axis and we're like, hey, today we're going to preach and then we're going to have someone, they're going to pass away, they're going to rise again. Like, if that doesn't grow our church, nothing will. Like, that's it. That's what, shut it down, right? You would think that, I want to go to that church, right? I want to. And I think it's interesting because for many of us, we just tend to think, too, if God would just do that one miracle, then I'd believe him more. And it's a lesson for us. Here's the lesson right here. Because God's probably already done miracles, and you still doubt. God's already done miracles, and you still will be unfaithful. God's already done miracles and you still will look to other things for love and comfort and hope. It's not miracles we need. We actually need a relationship with Jesus. That's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is for a human being to connect and give their lives to the one who gives them life. Because Lazarus, the crazy thing about it is, he died, rose, and guess what? He died again. The greatest miracle is the ultimate resurrection to be with Jesus forever. And so even after Jesus performed so many signs in the presence, they still would not believe him. This fulfilled the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, this is the prophecy hundreds of years earlier. For this reason, they could not believe. They could not believe. Because as Isaiah says, he has blinded their hearts and or blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn 
and I would heal them. If they turned, I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. In verse 42, it says, Yet at the same time, check this out, many, even among the leaders, believed in Jesus. Now, you're like, wait, I'm confused. It says that they didn't believe, but now it says that they do believe. Well, kind of. There's a quasi-belief or kind of a half-belief because it goes on to say, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So I give this intellectual belief like, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, I believe. But yeah, I let people influence that more than my life, more than God does. Because ultimately, I haven't given them my heart. I've given them my intellect, but not my heart, not my life. This righteousness that we talk about, there's really two aspects to it. And you'll see this in the scriptures, just so you know. Righteousness comes in two ways. The first way is this. There's a legal righteousness and there's a relational righteousness. I know some of you are like, okay, we're getting deep in the weeds. This is important because when you read the Bible, if you get them confused, you'll feel condemned by God when you're not. You got to remember that, that God has multiple hats. He's a father, but he's also a righteous judge. And here's the thing is sometimes we're like, ah, oh, why has he got to be so righteous? But who doesn't want a righteous authority? Like what bothers us more than a legal system that is corrupt, right? Especially if a, com a crime was committed to you and they get away with it. That's when you want right, right? You want righteousness when other people are wrong, but then when you do the wrong, you're like, ah, can you, can you do me a favor? Can you, you're right? But we really don't want that um, because that, it takes out any safety in society when you don't have righteous leaders. God is ultimately righteous. And so the Bible talks about that. There's this legal part to us. That's why the Bible says we're lawbreakers. There's this legality thing, and that legality has to be taken care of because in a sense, uh, he is the great judge, and he has to judge righteously. And what does Romans say? All fall short of the glory of God. That's not good. But then because God's so relational, he's like, well, you can't take care of the court sentence. You can't pay the penalty. You don't have enough. You're not righteous. So what does he do? He pays the penalty. So when we stand before God, the only way that we can take care of our legal issues as far as being unrighteous, the Bible says, is to rely on Jesus. Is to say, I don't have the record, but he has the perfect record, so would you forgive me? And it says that when we have that desire and that decision to say, I recognize I'm a lawbreaker, I recognize I'm rebellious, I recognize that there is no self-righteousness, I am unrighteous, Bible says at that point that then legally there's a legal transfer where the Bible says that then the record of Jesus is your record, which is perfect. I feel like I'm in a shouting match with the other church over there. They're either doing church or they're in a fight. I can't tell what's going on over there. So we got, I know, we got to focus here. Yeah. So there's a legal part to that. That's really important. That's where the Bible talks about, and we won't shy away from this, words like condemnation. Right? That's a legal term. And the Bible says that there, there's a part that we have to take care of that legal issue because we're lawbreakers. There's also a legal part where the Bible talks about adoption. 
you realize that adoption is not just a relational thing. It's actually a legal thing. You change your name when you adopt someone. That's another legal thing. That he, that's what the Bible talks about, that he buys, he pays for us. He adopts us in. There's a cost there, right? That's a legal transaction there. But there's also a relational righteousness. And a relational righteousness means that as we're saved, then our righteousness, as we become more righteous, it keeps us in good relationship with God. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're condemned at all, but there's a relational righteousness that as we seek righteousness, that that brings us into a closer relationship with Jesus. So he's leading us towards righteousness. So there's two aspects to this. And that's where the Bible talks about, you'll see this relational righteousness, that God desires to be righteous, when he says, draw close to me, when he says that God disciplines those he loves, that discipline is not a condemnation. It's a discipline of correction of you're leading into unrighteousness. His desire is for us to, again, hunger and thirst for righteousness. What inhibits this, though, is what Isaiah talked about. Our blind eyes, our hardened hearts that we cannot see with our eyes and we cannot understand with our hearts. This is in Isaiah 6. Let's go to Isaiah 6 and let's see what he actually says and what God says to a nation that he chose. This is written to the Israelites. And he, and he tells Isaiah, he says, go tell the people this, be ever hearing, this is Isaiah 6, 9, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see, they might hear with their ears, they might understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, this can be pretty harsh because we're like, wait a second, that sounds like that God's actually hardening their hearts, that God's closing their eyes, that God's shutting off their ears. That can sound pretty harsh. But let's look at the whole context here. We go on verse 13. This is what God's telling them. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your worship. Incense were a part of worship. When you sing, you're crying, but God is not listening. This is really important because sometimes with worship, we think about more about how we feel than how God feels. God says, make sure those are aligned. Just because you feel a certain way, how do you think God's receiving that worship with the state of your heart and the state of your mind? And so he says, stop bringing meaningless worship, new moons and Sabbaths and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. He's having some pretty harsh words. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. That's some strong words. They have become a burden to me. Sunday's a burden to God. <laughs> We're stoked and God's like, oh, it's Sunday. They're going to give me their fake worship and their religious things and there's and he says that I am weary of them. He says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. He goes on to say that even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Now, why is this? He explains it. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice defend the oppressed, this is what they weren't doing. They weren't doing these things, but yet they had great worship services, but outside of worship services, they weren't doing these things of kindness and taking care of orphans and, and uh, taking care of those uh, and loving those and helping those in need. 
And he says, take up the cause of the father that has plead the, uh, the case of the widow. I'm sorry, I'm in eyes. Did I, did I skip? Okay, I'm sorry, you guys. I got a little too hyper there. Uh, I'm in verse 16 and 17. Isaiah 6. Hold on. Settle down. Yeah. This is not good. I'm making up my own scripture. Some of you guys are. This is when we leave. It's not from the Bible. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm in Isaiah 1. Yeah. Isaiah 1 gives context to Isaiah 6. That's what I was supposed to say, and I didn't. It's in my notes here to say it, too. That's what's funny. Yeah, Isaiah 1. Yeah, you guys are paying. You know your Bible. That was a test. Isaiah 1 gives context to Isaiah 6. So I jumped to Isaiah 1.13. Because Isaiah 6, it sounds like God is mean. That's what I want to give you context. It sounds like, wait, why would God harden their hearts or what their eyes can't perceive? Why, why would he do that? Well, the context is he's given them chance and chance and chance. What he's saying is there's no repentance. There's no hunger and thirsting for righteousness. Here's what I hunger and thirst for. A great religious service or something that makes me feel good, but I don't desire obedience when I leave. This is really important because I believe in the state of the church today, sometimes the level of the worship service is more important than the level of obedience when we leave. We've got to be so careful that we're into how does the service make us feel without thinking about how does God feel about this service. Because he, he cares about the state of your heart, not the loudness of your voice. Now, why is this? Because someone's like, oh, I'm feeling condemned now, right? The right, you, you might unright. No, 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 no. Now, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you feel like your self-righteousness, when you're done with this life, you'll be able to stand on your own and be like, I was a good person, and I should, I'm above the law. That's a whole different thing. But if, if we come here, we're like, no, 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 I've accepted the forgiveness of Jesus. I want his record. I don't want my record to be revealed on the day of judgment. I want the record of Jesus. I understand I'm a lawbreaker, and I accept his forgiveness. I'm appreciative of that. What the Bible says now is like, now it's that relational righteousness is important as far as it's the constant repentance that leads us to righteousness. That since we're unrighteous, now God's going to constantly lead us. Now that we're free, now he's going to lead us towards hungry and thirsting for righteousness. Because here's the thing. When I stand righteous before God is when I can live righteous for him towards others. Before we talk about being right towards others and living righteously towards others, first we have to be right with God. That's where it starts. It starts being with him, hearing from him, taking care of business with him helps us to take care of business with other people. And notice what he was frustrated with. He's saying, you're coming to church and you're not taking care of business with me, which means you can't take care of business with others. You can't love them. You can't be righteous with them because you're not righteous with me. You're not allowing me to change your unright the, the, the rebellion in you. My desire is not just to save you, but now is to change you and transform you. What he's saying is be careful 
that we don't hunger and thirst for it because we're filled by God when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when I hunger and thirst for righteousness, I'm going to constantly be hungering and thirsting to change and repent. Repentance is a gift from God to become righteous. It's a gift. We should never show up to a Hope Connection group and be like, I'm repenting of this this week. It should be a normal, mature Christian practice that I'm constantly changing, not out of guilt and shame to be accepted by God, but to become like him, to live like him, to love like him. It's a joy to repent. I think this is a good week for us as we hunger and thirst for righteousness to look at areas of our life where for some of us, we're holding on to sin. We're hiding sin. We won't share our sin. We won't confess our sin. And for some of us, we've given up as far as I can't change, so I'm just going to give up and try to be a Christian, but I'm going to hold on to this sin. What the Bible says, no, you actually, your ears will become more and more deaf to, listen, to hearing God, and your eyes, you won't even be able to perceive of how to live for him. It's a slow, it's a slow and, and insidious thing. Because some of us think of rebellion as this outright, like, ah, rebellion, but rebellion can kind of, it can be a creek where we just kind of wander into it, but we can play Christian here. For those of us that grew up or have been in the church for a while, you kind of know how to do your thing, right? How to kind of come off. And here's the thing is, we're not here to impress each other. The Bible says that that's what those guys did the Pharisees, and, and, and that's why they couldn't fully believe Jesus, because they loved what other people thought of them. Don't come to church or go to connection group. Don't be thinking about what other people think of you. Otherwise, you got to go back to, do you even believe in Jesus? Because he's the primary person you should care about. Right now, care about nobody else, because God's looking into your heart. And he looks with kindness, Romans 2, to lead you to repentance, so you can live a life of righteousness. Why? So you can be filled with him. He wants to fill you, again, with wisdom and love and perspective and joy and peace, all those things. Romans 1 fully explains this. Fully explains what Jesus is talking about here. This should be the right passage. I swear this is in the Bible. My goodness. Romans 1, 18. I'm going to wrap up with this. We're going to read a little bit of scripture, okay? Let, let's just let God speak to us right now. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, right? It's plain. It is absolutely plain. You cannot have an organized world. You cannot have the intricacies of our bodies and how they function and say that it was not by design. It's, it's actually scientifically impossible. It's scientifically impossible that something is organized and comes from disorganization. Science would say that you start with organization and it becomes disorganized. I know I'm getting deep here, but it's a passion of mine because God is actually very scientific. And he says, but what we do, we suppress it. Now, nah, there's no being there. We just kind of formed and then we came from this, you know, little single cell, you know, molecule thing. And then we just formed into these incredibly complex human beings we suppress the truth why because if i suppress the truth i don't have to face the truth that there's a living god who's righteous who demands righteousness because he cannot interact with sin because sin is so repulsive to him and we say but i'm repulsive but he says no but i'm also incredibly loving and i'll take care of that i'll cover the sin and i'll make you righteous beautiful 
But Romans 1 says this can be the mindset of those of us that are maybe disconnected or in rebellion towards God. We suppress truth. Even rebellion, I remember my greatest rebellion when I was partying, when I was doing horrible things, treating people so wickedly. I, when I laid my head at night, I had to suppress the truth of who I truly was. I was running from God. It looked like that I wasn't thinking about God at all. I was, but I had to suppress it. The most rebellious person knows there is a God. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why? Because although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like immortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. So anyone that worships anything or anybody above God or in place of God, it says that this is the process. It's futile. It's foolishness, and our hearts can become darkened. Verse 28, furthermore, just as they do not think it is worthwhile to retain the full knowledge of God, God gave them over to depraved mind. So as we participate in rebellions, we hide sin. That when that happens, that God will actually, here's the dangerous thing is, the most dangerous thing that God can do is to give you what you want. God, I don't need you. I don't want you. And God's like, okay. That's a brutal place to be. But that shows a lot about our God. He's a God of freedom. He's like, you want that? Okay. A dangerous place to be sometimes when God gives you the desires of your hearts and your heart is not in a good place. It says that they have become filled with every kind of wickedness and evil and greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. This is what happens is that when we lack repentance in our lives, we don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. This is what we turn into. We become wicked, evil, greedy, depraved, envious. There's strife in our life. There's deceit. There's malice gossip, slanders. We actually become God-haters, arrogant and boastful. <laughs> they even invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees they, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but approve of those who practice them. Now, some of us right now are like, yeah, the world's bad. Yeah, these people are bad. Yeah, ah. Keep reading, homie. Keep reading. Romans 2. You, therefore, have no excuse, Christians. Who are you to pass judgment on someone else? This is why, and I, this is why I was so bothered by with everything happening politically and things like that, Christians were bashing people disconnected from God, bashing governors, bashing presidents, bashing Congress judging them. But Brian, they're doing bad things. They're passing bad things. We are not to pass judgment. Those are the very people we're trying to love and reach. So we're mindful of our posts. We're mindful of our words. We're Christians before we're Democrats or Republicans. We're actually Christians before we're Americans. This is the passage we use. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you yourself are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment, you do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So yeah, that judgment is between them and God. God will take care of who needs to be judged. 
So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, you do the same things. Do you think you escape God's judgment? Be careful of how you judge, because God will judge you in the same way. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that what? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Some of us view God's patience and kindness as a license to continue to sin. You haven't felt the consequences. You're like, this doesn't feel that bad. I'm getting with this. I can worship and then curse out someone at home or look at this or do that or carry bitterness in my heart. I don't see the consequences. I'm still functioning pretty well. Nobody really knows. But we're missing something here. You're missing out on being filled by God. And here's the thing, is that when you're righteous standing before God, you can then righteously live for God. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness that you may be filled. What Jesus says, if that's going to take place, the only way to get to righteousness is through repentance. So here's what we're going to practice this week. This is going to be a fun week. Can't wait to have you share this with everybody. And I practiced it myself. So I tried to do it myself before I'm asking you to do it. Our Jesus quotient this week is to daily, this is what I'm going to encourage you to do. Before you get going with your day, as you start the day, and then as you end the day, I'd like you to do these two things. Let's start with the end of day. I'd like you to evaluate your day, the end and evaluate and ask God, where do you want to change me to become more righteous? In my attitude, in my perspective, in my behavior, how I treated people. Just ask God, what's one area you want to change me tomorrow? And then when you wake up the next morning, before you get going, ask God to lead you in righteousness in that area. Just practice that. Practice repentance, saying, God, change me. Change me here. Change me there. Watch as you're filled. Watch as God fills you up throughout the week. Guys, I was blown away by this. It transforms your days. And here's the cool thing is I found my hunger for God began to grow and grow as I saw him change me and transform me. And sometimes it's in small ways. Sometimes it's in big ways. Let me give you an example. As I was practicing this week, God had these little attitude things. I was becoming a little judgmental. I won't share the details. I'll say that for my connection group. But uh, God was convicting me. Nothing major, too. These are little things, too, that you'd be like, ah, Brian, don't even worry about that. But God's like, uh-uh. I want to fill you up more and more. And as I began to work on those things, then they led to bigger things, and they led to bigger things. So I started off small, and I got bigger and bigger. And uh, what's cool is yesterday... Uh, Christine and the family, they're up in Palm Springs. I'm going to be taking off quickly after church. We have a bunch of family up there, so I'm going to go join them, so I'm missing out right now. But um, but yesterday, some plans changed, and, and Christine wanted me to go with them earlier, and I had some other things to do. And so I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to join you guys. I'm just going to stay home and all that kind of stuff. And, and I could see the disappointment in her face. I wasn't going to join them Saturday night. So I'm like, I'm busy. I got some things to do. And, and, uh, and I could see the disappointment. And I feel like that if I wasn't 
walking in righteousness, if I wasn't repenting, I think I would have just blown off like, no, I have the right. I'm busy. I got things to do. It's no big deal. I'll see the family the next day. As she left, though, it was like the Holy Spirit's like, wait a second. Aren't you supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church? She was disappointed. She walked out. I could tell she was disappointed, right? But here's the thing. I didn't change my behavior because I wanted to placate my wife. I'm like, I want to keep my wife happy. I want to keep Jesus happy. At that moment, he's like, forget that. Go be with family. Go be with it. And so I surprised Christine. And about an hour later, I'm like, hey, where are you on the road? And I told her, you know, where I was. I'm like, I'm already on the road. I'm following you. I'll, you know, I'll be there. And she was so ecstatic and so happy. And then last night we were talking just how much that meant to her. And I think if I wasn't repenting throughout the week and God filling me up, I think I would have just overlooked that as far as like, I'm busy, life's busy. You guys go, I'll see family tomorrow. I would have overlooked my wife. What you'll see is that as God fills you up, he'll start with something small, but then he's got something the next day. He's got something the next day. And what he is, is you empty yourself. It's like a cup. As you empty yourself, he pours in. But here's the thing. If you never empty yourself of your own desires, your ways of thinking, your rebellion, he can't pour in. You can't pour into something that's already full. So here's repentance. God wants to pour you out this week, and he wants to fill you up. But you got to hunger and thirst. So here's what I'm talking about, hunger and thirst. Start off first thing in the day, last thing at night. Give that to God and see how he leads you towards repentance and through righteousness and how he fills you up this week. And your eyes will be opened and your ears will hear clearly as he leads you towards that. The worship team is going to come up and we're just going to kind of reflect on this as far as being a church that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. A church that is led by God's kindness in our life that as Mary was, she was so thankful that we sit at the feet of Jesus and we say, change me. For Mary, it was changing me from a complaining person to a thankful person. A person who demanded God to be here on my timeline to is just thankful because I see that your plans are beyond my own plans. Let God's kindness and grace lead you to repentance. And here's the thing. Let his kindness and grace then lead you to Loving others and showing grace to others as he has shown grace to you. Jesus, we come before you now and as we take communion, as we just kind of let you think about where you want to change us, God, I pray that we'd be excited to be changed. We'd be excited to repent. We'd be excited to empty ourselves so that you could fill us with your love, with your wisdom, with your humility that our righteousness would not be a self-righteousness, but it would be a, a Christ-righteousness. That our righteousness would not be repulsive to people, but they would be like, whoa, the way you live, your rightness and the way that you live, it looks like Jesus. God, I can't wait for us to share about this as a church, that we'd encourage one another, that we'd be a church that we rejoice as you change us because you don't change us out of condemnation, you change us out of love. Just like a loving father disciplined and corrects, it's the same for us, God. And I pray that we receive that as a church. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information or to get in contact with our pastoral staff, please go to go toaccesschurch.com. 